0: Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Guide and show us what you want us to see from this section and help us to learn from what you would like us to learn. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 19. We're going to be starting at verse 13. Paul is right now in Ephesus. He had left Corinth and now he's in Ephesus. And we're continuing his time in Ephesus at verse 13. Then certain of the Vagavan Jews exorcists took "...upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was was leapt on them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded." And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all of them. And the name of Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and, and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, wrought them, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found that it was 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed." All right. So in Ephesus, there was this event that happened and it says there were certain vagabond Jews. Now, this does not mean that they were beggars or anything. They were just wandering exorcists. They were going from town to town, earning their their money by getting rid of demons. (laughs) And they decided that they were going to use the name of Jesus in their exorcisms. You know, out of boldness or stupidity. I don't know what it was, but they had seen miracles being done in the name of Jesus. So they decided to invoke the name of this new powerful being that they had heard. And it's kind of an interesting thing when it when it comes in. They they said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they're not even they are not even using the power of Jesus because they don't know Jesus. They don't know anything about him. They're calling on his power. And this is, we've seen this happen when people, you know, see people get saved and everything. We saw it with uh, Simon the sorcerer who decided, hey, you know, I'll pay you to get this power because he was used to being able to buy magic tricks. And, you know, he was told, you know, you know, basically go to hell. (laughs) Uh, And so these guys go to the go and they say, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the answer of the demon in verse 15 is quite interesting. It says, Jesus, I know. Okay, and the word here for know means that they understood. They knew Jesus. The second one, when they say, Paul, I know, the word there is basically Paul we are acquainted with. We're beginning to know Paul. So the demon's t- telling these guys, you know, Jesus, we know. <laughs> we know who Jesus is. Paul, we're beginning to know about Paul. And then his question was, who are you? And this is the danger when we try to call upon Jesus' name and we don't know him. or We, do, we as Christians know him, but for those who call on his name without knowing him, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a name. There's no power behind it. That would be like somebody saying, I'm I'm arresting you in the name of the law when they're not a police officer or a correction officer Uh, really has no power, no, no authority for them to come up and arrest you. Now, we do have citizens arrest and everything, but they're not covered by all the protections that the police officers are covered with. And this is kind of what's going on. You know, we know that this name Jesus has power, so we're going to try to use his power to, to do this to do this event and you know and I can almost hear this angel you know just kind of laughing at them you know Jesus I know Paul we're beginning to know but who 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 are you who who are you to be using this name this is something that is very important for us to understand though when, when if you want to do exorcisms it's also very important to make sure you're prepared in your heart and your your and you're confessed up to date and all these things because the demons understand and know what's going on. And these demons definitely understood. Now these exorcists seem to have had some power with the Jewish practices and everything. Because every once in a while demons would be cast out by these guys. But this one they're trying a new new words. <laughs> new, new phrases. And I don't know how successful these guys were in their exorcisms. I uh, do not know how successful, different people that don't know Jesus and don't know God well have been with exorcisms. Uh, but these guys end up getting attacked. All right, uh, It says, The man in whom the evil spirits were leapt on them, overcame them, prevailed against them, injured them, and basically stripped them. You know, beat them so bad that they left their garments behind. And it may just be their outer garments when they, when they were being attacked. But one of the things we have seen in scriptures, when people are possessed with demons, they have extreme power. You had the man in the tombs that Jesus healed in Gadaria, and they said they had chained him up, and he just snapped the chains. Uh, And this is something that happens a lot. These people, when they're demon-possessed, have power that we can't even begin to understand. And these guys were attacked. Seven of them. There were seven brothers doing this casting out and and one man, demon possessed, hurt all seven of them. You know, that's a lot of power. Now does God let that happen? God let it happen. They weren't his. Because God has control of everything. Well, he let it happen. They they got the consequence of their action. They were trying to cast out in Jesus' name when they didn't know Jesus. Oh. These guys were Jewish believer, Jews, trying to use Jesus's name to cast out these demons because Jesus had cast out demons. Peter and James and John and all the disciples are casting out demons. So they go, well, this this name, this name must be powerful, and this is what happens for the world. They understand there's power, and they try to usurp power belonging to other people frequently, and drop names have you ever been around somebody who just drops names all over the place i was listening to a speaker one time and every time he turned around he was dropping some big big uh evangelist or or name in the you know that he had talked to and been with and i'm sure he did but i was getting tired of hearing it just tell me what you know i don't care how many people you know because he was just dropping names everywhere and here these seven brothers of skiva (laughs) Not necessarily. Most people have opened the door for demon, demonic possession. Could be the way they were raised, in the home that they were raised, that they ended up with demonic possession. Uh, Open themselves up. You know, If you have Jesus and God in your, in your life, you cannot be filled with a demon. God is not going to share your body with anybody else. So you might have a demon sitting on your shoulder talking to you, but you're not going to have one living in you. All right? Uh, because God is there and He doesn't share. <laughs> and he's, he's very jealous. He's not going to share your body with any demons. <laughs> uh, but if you're not saved, then you can be possessed by demons. And as Jesus said, that when He cast out the demon, He says that the demon will go to find someplace else to live. And He can't find something. He'll go and find that the old home is empty, still empty. He will go and grab more demons, so you'll be worse off in the long run. Uh, and this is very important to understand: if if you are ever to deal with demons, make sure that person gets saved when you when the demons are cast out. Otherwise, they're going to be more miserable than when they started out. And this is a serious business. The spiritual battle that goes on is a very serious issue for us. And in our in our country, we don't even recognize demonic uh, possessions at all. And not all mental diseases are demonic, demonic possessions, but a lot of them are, you know, are demonic, especially multiple personality yeah, stuff. So you, and, like, person- and again, I'm not going to say all, but yeah, many of them are going to be multiple demons possessing the body and coming out as personalities. And we see over and over these people were possessed. I want to walk a very fine line because I don't want to get in trouble with psychology because I, you know, I believe that most of them probably are demonic, but, you know, they try to make it, you know, that it's a psychological mental disorder and being a possessed is a mental disorder, but uh, it is a pretty serious issue. And, you know, if you start talking to some of these people, it's very obvious that some of their personalities are demonic in the way they come across and, but. In our day and age, we write everything off. All these spiritual things we write off to being, you know, mental or drug-induced and all these other things, and we ignore the spiritual realm. And this is something that has got to be looked at at times um, because there are real issues. And there's times when I think I've met people that I believe are demonic-possessed because of their way they just re- react to things. Could be. I'm not going to say yes or no. I, just... but, I mean, that's how I would say you know, and I thank God so much I got of that. that was... But it would not surprise me. You know, these split personalities, you know, we, we have all kinds of psychological names we give to them. Never been We've got all kinds of psychological names we apply to what is probably demonic possessions. And I'm not going to try to say every single psychological ailment is is demonic, but a lot of them probably are. Uh, Because we're so scientific now that we don't allow for the spirit world, we don't don't acknowledge it. And then the other side of this whole spirit, spirit world is most of these things were also pharmaceutically induced or drug induced. And what are we doing nowadays? We're drugging everybody and everything, and people are getting into drugs, and and we see people that end up with almost supernatural uh, strength because they're getting so uh, filled with these drugs, and that's opening up the spirit world to them as well. And the police sometimes fear to go to these guys that have drug inducements because they hit them with tasers and they don't they don't uh, get affected. They hit them with uh, you know all the non-lethal stuff. They hit them with uh, Um, a pepper spray and doesn't affect them at all. You know, four or five of them are trying to, you know, subdue him, and they don't and they can't. You know, some of that is demonic. We have much demonic activity in our world today that is not being looked at as demonic because of the way that we think of things. Uh, And it's, and I don't want to say everything's demonic, but there's a lot of demonic activity that needs to be recognized as demonic. And it's gonna get worse. As we get more drugs, more, more spiritualism, more the, oh, the occult that's out there, we're gonna see more and more demon-possessed people in our world, in our nice scientific world. <laughs> and most of them will not be recognized as being dem- filled with demons because we are so far past that. But, you know, it's kind of interesting that we are swinging back to spiritualism, but not Christianity. You know, uh, we're sp- we going to just about any other religion other than, and we're seeing even some of these ancient gods coming back with a, with a vengeance. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but everything is returning. You know, there's nothing new under the sun, we're told in, in the Ecclesiastes, and it is true. There is nothing new under the sun. The gods that have been worshiped in the past are coming back. And, you know, we just recently had the, the gate of Baal traveling all over America, a replica of it, you know, for people to see what that temple of Baal would look like. You know, and everybody was going to see it. Now, and I don't, I'm not saying that we're worshiping it, but they're just the curiosity of anything that's not Christian anymore is out there. And we're seeing new rise in the idea of the Egyptian gods and Ra and all these other gods are becoming big, big again. Uh, and all of this stuff is happening and the world does not see it for what it is, but we see it as Christians, the return, the new cycle, and it's so funny, it's all the old stuff. Satan never does anything new. He just put new he just puts new names on it, paints its face a little bit with new new makeup, and does the same old thing over and over again. All of our new Eastern mysticism religions that have been out since the 60s, so they're really not new, they're just duplicates of the uh, Gnosticism of the, the first century and the old religions of the, before that, you know, there's again, nothing new. He just recycles it, puts new names on it, paints, paints the face a little bit and says, hey, here's your, here's your new religion. And it's exactly what it is. And these guys were saying, we have this new power. You know, we have this new name. This ha- this name has power. And one of the things that the Jews and most people in that day and age thought is that the name of something had power. And there was all this mentality that it, you know, there was even one is that you didn't tell anybody your name right off the bat, because if they knew your name, they could have power over you by knowing your name, which is why the Jews did not write and use the name of God on a day to day basis, because God was something you could not have power over. So you could not say his name. And, you know, and it was all that superstitiousness that went on to it. And now they, these guys say, we have a new powerful name. You know, we know his name. We can call down his power because we have his name. You know, and they're going to find out it didn't work. <laughs> Seven of them get beat up bad by one person. And you know, so much so that they were left. And it says they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Yeah, this man in in the demonic possession was a wild man in the in his attack, and they were very seriously hurt because of this, and the result was that in verse 17, and this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks in the dwelling of Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of Jesus of the Lord Jesus was magnified. They they understood. And it wasn't so much that Jesus' name failed here, but the answer of the demon probably is what made them understand. We know Jesus, we're beginning to know Paul, but who are you? (laughs) Told them that this name of the Lord Jesus was powerful. The person of the Lord Jesus was powerful. Do we really recognize how powerful his name is in our day and age, especially as even us as Christians? I don't think we fully understand, even, even though we think we do, how powerful is his name. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and we are his children and his bride, God's children and Jesus' bride. That gives us a lot of power. If we fully started to understand the power that we have at our disposal, not to be wasted, not to be used on us, but, you know, it is the, the same title that we go, do we really understand if you, if you get adopted into a family or you marry into a let's say you get married and you're in a, in a new family and you now have the name of that family behind you. Now, let's say it's a powerful family. You, you married into the Kennedys or the, the Rockefellers. You know, what power would you have? You, know, you go to the bank and say, I'd like a loan, my name is you know my 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 grandpa is you know my you know my father-in-law is there's power in knowing and being truly related. we have power at our disposal if we would just understand it now he says that it's to be used in his name, which means after what he would like but how often do we live in the poverty you know without power in our life because we're not looking that we have power. We're living beneath our means. Uh, it's been, been somewhat described as you've got the winning lottery ticket sitting in your wallet that you don't cash. And you're having your house repossessed and your car repossessed and everything, but you have you know, the winning lottery ticket in your wallet that you're not even aware is there or not carrying is, in, is there and you're losing all your possessions. We can do that with God and, and, and not seek after His power not seek after his protection. And it's very important. Satan likes us not to live in the the knowledge of who we are. Because if we don't know who we are in Christ, then we don't think we have power and he can easily defeat us. And we need to be very careful of this. And Jesus's name was being magnified throughout Ephesus. And people were turning to them And I love verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And this confession actually isn't confessed, but they were praising God. And they were living the life. And this is important for us as Christians. Do we live as Christ's children? Or do we live like the world? And unfortunately, I have seen many people over the years that have lived like the world. I have seen many people that... I was shocked to see them in a church one day when I came into a church, you know, because it's like, you're, you're a Christian? You know, is this your first time in church? No, this has been my church. I've been in this church for a long time. I'm going, wow. You know, and you look at them and go, I would never have thought that you were a Christian by their lifestyle. You know, are we conformed to this world or, or not? You know, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. And too many of us have been conformed to this world. And God is saying, you should stand out. Our light should shine out. People should see. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect because we cannot be perfect. But our light should shine out in a way that people see that we're different. That they look at us and go, all right, you, you are different. You're, you're, you're standing for something. You, you live in truth. And as our world gets darker and darker, with less truth being out there and less, less, uh, less uh, conviction, we as Christians should shine out even more. The smallest light in darkness can, is very bright. And when we're totally turned over to Him, we're going to be a blinding light to the world. But even a small light you know, is seen from a great distance in the, if it's dark. You know, somebody could be standing up at the top of the windy point there on the, on the cliff and if they were to just light a lighter and the wind wasn't blowing enough to keep, the, keep it uh, blown back out again, we would see it all the way from down here up there on a dark night. You know, just a little match or a, or a light would shine out and we would see it. This is the good news as the world gets darker for us. No matter how dim our light is with God, it will shine out. And the brighter our light gets, it'll almost blind people and hurt their, hurt their eyes. And so this is being, he's lifted up. And then it says, many of them which used curious arts, and in case you don't know what curious arts means, that's magic. They were doing magic, magic tricks and magic things. Those who were, uh, used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all the men and counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So they brought all their books on magic and had a great big bonfire with these books. 50,000 pieces of silver. Most people believe that this is a reference to the drachmas, which was a day's wages. And if that's true, they burned 50,000 days worth of wage, which, you know, let's say you had only 50... You know fifty dollars a day, which would be very low for our day and age, that's still about two million five hundred dollars worth of books burnt. That tells you there was a lot of magic being used in ephesus uh, you know and this is something I have seen and heard many times with especially people who are into black magic or dark magic or anything. They will take and burn their books, and oftentimes i I've, I've met people, especially in the coming out of the 60s and 70s, that when they would get saved, they would say these, the music that they were listening to was not worth it, and they'd burn, burn their music. Uh, you know, they're, all their tapes and stuff. Uh, when, when God convicted me to not watch certain shows, I took all of my CDs, and my, DVD, uh, my CDs and DVDs and stuff that I had for them, and I destroyed them. And people go, why didn't you sell them? Well, if they weren't good for me, They're not good for anybody else. You know, so, and that's what this is all about. These books are, you know, these books, these these things are evil. You know, why give them to somebody else to trap them in the thing that you're trying to get out of? So we destroy them. And I'm not necessarily advocating this, but I do say if God convicts you to get rid of something out of your life, don't go out and sell it to make money back. You know. Get you know, and literally, I destroyed mine. I I ran the di- the CDs through the through the shredder, and and I yanked the yanked the VCR tape out of the out of the thing so that nobody else could get into them. Yeah, you know anything yeah, because if I, God is, and, and, and that's just it. If something is not, if God's convicting you that you shouldn't have it, nobody else should have it either. And that's what happened here. They took all their books on magic and burned them. You know, and I can't imagine 50,000 uh, 50, days wage. You know, That's a lot of books that they had calculated out. Which tells you how evil Ephesus was. Yeah, you know, and their main, their main worship was Diana, the goddess Diana. The g- goddess of love, Athena, uh, Diana. Uh, depending on which, which religion... And so, and yet, there's all these guys that are doing magic, and looking for power, and you know it's kind of interesting. We see magicians all through the scriptures, you know, and every one of them it's kind of funny. They were probably doing the same magic that's being done in today's today's by today's magicians, all sleight of hand. Uh, got a magician friend, and he goes, "It's quite interesting. These these guys go out in the middle of the the jungles to these." Uh, witch doctors and everything and they find them doing this using the same tricks that they buy from from the magic stores and they probably bought them from the same stores (laughs) and even though they're in the middle of nowhere they're ended up learning how to levitate and they're using the same same tricks that everybody uses to levitate The judge is Deborah. Deborah, yeah. Yeah. Deborah. yeah. So we see here all of this stuff that's going on, and God is making a huge revival in Ephesus. Now, we're, when God starts moving, Satan starts coming against. <laughs> and we're going to see the next part of this chapter where Satan starts coming against what God is doing. As the mighty thing. And it says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So the church is getting big in Ephesus. It's becoming a big church. God is moving. Things are happening. So in verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit that when he had passed through Macedonia and Arcadia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent to Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So Paul started sending two people to go ahead of him, saying, "Hey, I'm coming to Macedonia. You know, prepare for the you know prepare the meeting halls." <laughs> okay, uh, very much what evangelists do to this day. They're in one town and they send their lead team out to start getting the halls ready and get the churches ready to accept them and get the advertising going on. This is what's going on. You know, he's not, he's going and sending them to the churches that he's been and saying, tell them I'm coming. Get them ready for my, for my nights. And he stays in Asia. And remember Macedonia is in Greece. So he's working his way west across uh, what is now Turkey or, or Asia Minor at that time. So he's working his way across and Timothy and Erastus is going out. But Paul's plan is he's making his last tour of these places. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he plans to go to Rome. Now, God's going to give him his, give him his heart's desire. He goes, to, he goes to Rome, but he goes in chains, which isn't quite the way he was planning to go, I don't think. Uh, but he's going, i got to get to Rome. For whatever reason, he decided he had to get to Rome. And remember, just a couple chapters ago, Aquila and Priscilla were kicked out of Rome because Rome was kicking all the Jews and Christians out. And Paul's going, I gotta get there. I gotta get back, to, I gotta get to Rome. Even though they're all being kicked out, I've gotta go. And you know, I find it very interesting for us as Christians in America. We are looking at facing persecution in this country in, in some harsh ways very soon. And we need to be prepared in our heart to say, God, I'm, we, help us to be ready and looking at history, every 100 to 300 years, there has been persecution, major persecution for the church. And there's been minor persecution all around the world for the church, and there are places where there's major persecution, there are places where if you're a Christian, your life expectancy is less than two years, uh, because you've become a Christian. We're going to face that here in America fairly soon. And I'm not sure that it's going to be death at first, but you know, we're going to be Ridden off and persecuted. We are looking at things happening in this country that are scary when you look at history. You know, uh, all through history, dictators have made anybody who doesn't agree with them second-class cis- citizens. You know, and all of this talk about vaccine passports and and the the equal rights and all you know equal rights bill that's going through that says if you don't agree with what the government decides is the right thing to say then you can be, be uh, put into jail or fined. And everything that the government says that we should believe in is what God says not to believe in, so we're in trouble as a Christian, if that goes through. But they want to make second-class citizens. Hitler did it. He, if, you didn't, if you were a Jew, you were a second-class citizen. If you were certain other races, you were a second-class citizen. You didn't get your papers. And we're facing that possibility in the world in America and the world. Not having the right right things that agree with the government, second-class citizen. As soon as you're made a second-class citizen, you're disposable. And this is what we have to be looking forward to, but we need to plan. How are we going to react? When the government says that we can't meet in our churches if we're going to speak the Word of God because it is going to be against the law, what do we do? Well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep teaching the Word of God. I may end up in prison very quickly, but I'm going to keep preaching the word of God. And we need to decide what are we going to do. Are we going to be silenced, or are we going to go ahead and stand up for it and say, God, thank you that I've been found worthy to suffer. All of this comes down, and it's been historically true. All through the New Testament, they kept getting told, you know, shut up and don't preach this in the name of Jesus, and they go, we've got to obey God. And remember, when they had to obey God, they also did not tell the people, well, you can't punish us because we're just obeying God. They understood that by obeying God and disobeying man, man was going to punish them, but God was who they were accountable to in the long run. And this is where we have to be. Are we willing to be punished by man to obey God? And we have to make that decision. I can't make it for anybody, but I'm telling you, get ready for it. And if we're ready for it, it's easier to do knowing that we have to do this. If you read things from Richard a, a, and during the persecution in Romania, you read stories from the, behind the Iron Curtain, Christians were never silent behind those places. That's why they kept getting arrested, because they would just keep preaching Jesus' name and be arrested and put in prison for five to ten years, come right back out, go preach Jesus' name, and get put back into prison again. Why? Because they knew what was important, preaching Jesus was important, giving his name was important. We need to come up with that attitude right now because we've had almost 300 years of no persecution in America. You know, and all these churches are complaining about all the stuff that's going to come down, you know, that they see coming down the road. And I'm not happy about it. Don't get me right. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not happy about the idea of persecution. But I know that it's got to come for the end times to be fulfilled. And we need to prepare our hearts for when it does happen. Are we ready to take a stand for Christ? And are we in the right mental attitude to say, God, I'm going to help me to stand for you. Because if we're not, we're going to fall flat on our face. When it's a choice of obeying man or going to prison, many people are going to obey man. And they're going to be coward and afraid and we need to be ready to take that stand and say I will follow Jesus no matter what yeah. there may become a time when I'll get fired at the prison because there will be a time when I'm going to have to take a stand and say you know do you believe in such and such and my answer is going to be no I don't believe in the homosexual agenda I don't believe in transgenderism uh, you know I'm not going to criticize people it's not my place at the prison to criticize people who don't live there the They're living the way the world lives, but if I'm asked point-blank, I'm going to have to answer that I agree with God, which means I may lose my job because I cannot say that it's right. I can say to them they have the right to, to live against God if they want to, you know, and I've always said people have the right to be wrong. You know, it's not my job to judge people for their wrongness, but I just tell them what God says. And if they want to be wrong before God, then that's who they're, what's going to happen. My job is not to judge, judge the people. My job is just tell them that God loves them and that he's got an answer for them. Oh, it's very hard sometimes. Especially if, you, if they're a close friend or a, or a relative or somebody that you really love, it really is hard, hard not to. And we have to be careful. We tell them the truth in love. And the most important part of that is in love. <laughs> not criticizing, not fighting with them, but telling them the truth in love. And it's not, it's not easy to do. I had an assistant manager that was a lesbian, and she asked me one day about it, and I just told her, well, you want my personal opinion or my professional opinion? And she goes, what's your per, per, a personal opinion? It's a sin before God, and you have to answer to God for it. You know, and that's all, I, you know, that's all that I have to say. You know, because they're, I'm not their judge. I'm not anybody's judge. I'm not even the judge of anybody that comes to the church frequently. Now I have a little more, little more pressure in there because I am the pastor and I care so much that I don't want to see anybody go the wrong way. But I'm still nobody's judge in the church. You know, I will come harder on people in the church. You know, that that come to church. You know, just to tell them this is the way it is. But if people visit the church or I'm talking to people, I'm not their judge. All I can do is tell them what God says. And they stand and fall before God. God is their judge. And he's going to be a judge that knows the inside out. He knows their thoughts. He knows why they did it. They're not going to be able to, to, to con him. They're not going to be able to argue Him with him because he knows. And our job is real simple. Just love people. Tell them what God says and love them. And give grace. Now, I know many people don't come to our church because I have said that homosexuality is a sin and fornication is a sin. And I know that there are people that have left the church because I've said those things. And I can't. I mean, I'm not judging them over it. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying this is what God says. And, you know, those who don't want to live that way aren't going to stick around a Christian, even if we're loving them. And so this is the problem that happens. We are a light. When the light shines into darkness, evil tries to scatter and hide. It does not like light being uh, shown on them. They try to hide. So here in verse 21, uh, excuse me, 23, we have the result of all of this going on. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith made... which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workers of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people saying that they be no gods which are made of hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. And when they heard these sayings they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of Ephesus of the Ephesians, and the whole city was filled with confusion, having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions, in travel. And they rushed with one accord into the theater. So we're going to stop there. <laughs> All right. Here comes the opposition. <laughs> uh, man named Demetrius. He makes little idols and little shrines. He's making his money on creating the worship of, of Diana. And he sees Paul as a great threat. The Christian church in Ephesus is growing. He probably has fewer people looking at his shrines every day. He is watching his profits dwindle, even a little bit. And he is concerned. And he stirs up trouble for Paul. He goes and talks to the other silversmiths and goldsmiths and he goes, probably starts out, have you noticed that your sales are going down? Have you, have you noticed that you're not making as much in sales? And they're going, yeah, yeah. He goes, it's this Paul guy. <laughs> it's Paul's fault. He's stirring up trouble. When God moves, Satan comes against. And this is very interesting because when people get saved, they stop committing the sins that they have been committing. Uh, during the great second great awakening in America... So many people were getting saved that bars were shutting down, brothels were shutting down, not because the government was shutting them down, but because so many people were getting saved that nobody went there. And they were closing down or the owner of it would get saved and he'd close it down, or, you know. And these guys are seeing the handwriting on the wall. You know, uh, we're losing sales. Now, they, there's no way they would have ever lost all their sales. <laughs> you know, well, I should not say no way, but. unlikely that everybody in the town was going to get saved (laughs) but they're seeing an impact and he's saying this paul is our troublemaker he is telling everybody that these gods that we make by hands are not gods their very statement should have been an indication that they knew what they were saying is true you know, the gods we make by hand by hands are not gods, and that's what Paul is saying in there and they understand it. I can't understand how anybody ever worshipped an idol made by somebody and said, This is our God. I just never understood the, the thought process of it. But by the same token, how many times have we raised something in our life up to the status of God? Uh and so they're going. He is causing so much trouble. We're losing our wealth. We're going to lose our businesses. You know, because they are telling them that there are, that these are not gods. Then he expands upon this, and this is where it really starts getting big because Ephesus is the center of worship for Diana. It has her great temple on the hilltop. And Diana is the goddess of love. they when, they'd said that when night fell, the evening fell, hundreds of temple prostitutes flooded into the city and brought people back up to worship, supposedly. Uh, so this was a big deal. If, he, if Paul is successful, they're going to lose their income. The temple is going to fall into disre, disrepute. And so, there, so this is their next sentence in verse 27. For not only our craft is in danger to be set for naught, but also the temple of the great goddess. Okay, he's, he's digging into our business already. And if he goes far enough, the temple up there on the hill is going to be, be wiped out. It's going it's to end up being no, no good. Now, I don't think they cared at all about that temple on the hill other than the fact that if people kept worshiping there, they would buy... Their stuff. That was the only reason they cared about that temple on the hill. Uh, But this now gives them an opportunity to stir up the rest of the town. All right? You know, their business, nobody's going to really care about, you know, oh, you lost your business, who really cares? But now they're saying the temple up there that everybody goes and worships at, that Paul is is affecting them as well. This is going to stir the city up. And it's going to cause great problems, and he said, "The great goddess, and I love this, whom all Asia and the world worships." <laughs> all right, um, you know, I kind of find it very funny because what is the accusation that everybody always uses when something goes on? You know, everybody does this. All the people are doing this. Every you know, yeah, you know, and this is their same statement: the whole world is worshipping this god this goddess, and this one man is going to stop the entire world from worshipping, you know, worshipping her. And that was the whole point, you know, when you really start analyzing the arguments that are made on here, they make no sense. But once you start getting in the word, people start, it starts taking on a life of its own. What happens when these riots start up? You just have a handful of agitators that, that get people riled up and then it starts taking a life on a, of its own on and, and then half the people in the riot don't even know why they're there or what they're rioting about. It's just, you know, you know, kill, maim, destroy. <laughs> and they're just enjoying the anger, anger about it, and this is what's happening here. And they follow the, you know, follow the leader, you know, they all they all they knew is that this big problem. And so they started crying out and every saying, Great is Diana. All right? Basically they're saying these guys are trying to hurt our temple. They're hurting our goddess. And, you know, apparently Diana wasn't strong enough to take care of herself. Uh, but now there's this riot going on. And they are, they come in the middle of that confusion in verse 29, and they grab hold of Gaius and Aristimus. They're some of Paul's companions, and they drag them off. It says theater, but they really, this word for theater is the uh, courthouse. All right, they're taking them to the place where the court would be held. All right. So the whole crowd's grab two men and they're running off to the, to the amphithe- amphitheater for, the, for this court case so they can accuse them and then execute them. So big riot going on and these poor two guys are in the, in the center of this being drug off. Probably not being treated nicely as they're being drug off. Um, probably being beat and, and attacked. All right. Verse 30. And when Paul would have entered into the uh, unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not whereof they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all in one voice about the space of two hours cried, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So they're dragging these guys. Paul sees this riot going on. And you know, Paul was, had to have been a brave guy. There's a riot going on. Two of his friends have been picked up in the middle of this riot, and he's willing to go into the middle of this court and stand up to help defend, uh, which would probably not have been a good thing. Uh, But he's ready to go. But the disciples say, just stay back. Stay back. Please stay back. Don't, Don't put yourself in danger of going into this situation. They understood that it was a real danger if he showed up. And Paul listened which is not his habit of doing. <laughs> uh, Paul was very headstrong and, and, and went in for doing what it was. And verse 32 says, And some therefore cried one thing and some another, and the assembly was confused. Nobody really knew what was going on. They, they think there's some damage to, to Diana. And I love this statement at the last part of 32. And it says, The more part knew not wherefore they were come together. The largest part of this group didn't even know why they were there. They were just following a crowd, dragging these poor guys to court. Like today. Uh, pretty much is. The same thing has always happened in riots. You get a handful of people that start the riot and then everybody jumps in because you know, people apparently like chaos and like to cause trouble. And so these riots develop, and people just, you know, if you get in there and go, why were you here? What were you doing? I don't know. I don't know. I was just, you know, yeah, I was here and I, I heard some things, and people were upset, and I just joined them. And it doesn't have to be bad people to get into this way. It's just sometimes you're in the wrong place and you get caught up in it. We had the riots all of last summer where people were destroying the cities. We had even the the riot from the conservatives, you know, that there were many people, two or three hundred people, stormed the Capitol. Most of them had no idea what they were doing. Okay? Uh, They were just caught up in what was going on. And this happens all the time. The majority of the people get caught up in what's going on, and a small majority are the agitators. And here we have Demetrius being the main agitator, and who knows how many others were agitating but they caused a riot and it is real easy to get a riot caused caused on here and so after after a moment they, alexander decided he was going to try to defend himself he was ready to take the court case because roman law allowed him to speak and as soon as they found out that he was a jew it says for two hours they were crying out great is diana of of the ephesians He's trying to speak and they're just chanting him down, yelling him down as he is trying to speak for two hours. They won't let him speak. That's a long time. And he's patiently there waiting his turn to be able to give his defense. And I, and I kind of like what happens at the end of this. And we're going to look at what, what happened here. Uh, verse 35. And the town, the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knows not how the city of Ephesus of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought hither these men which have neither are neither robbers of the church, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore is Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man? The law is open. There are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if if you inquire anything concerning other manners, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called into question for this day's uproar there being no cause whereby we give to account for this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. All right, here's another man who's being very brave. Now, he is the official, he actually has a military behind him to defend, but he goes up and he starts talking to the people. And he starts out with a very interesting thing. You know, he says, hey, Everybody knows that Diana is worshipped in this town, you know, and he calls her the great goddess. And it says, her image fell down from Jupiter. In other words, from uh, Mount Olympia. Uh, I've tried to find any reference to this to understand more about the myth on this. But apparently it was in Ephesus. Her statue was said that it just fell out of the sky (laughs) into the temple. Now, we know that that didn't happen, but that is the reputation that her statue had. Yeah, her statue, it's almost like Aaron's excuse when he put the gold in the fire when Moses was on Mount Sinai. You know, Moses, all I did was throw the, fi- the gold in the fire and out came this, out came this, this uh, calf. This is their story. Now, this, this idol just fell out of the sky <laughs> and landed right here at the top of this hill. But that was their reputation. He's not trying to deny it. He's just saying, we know how great this is. We know the miracle of her statue up on the mountaintop. We, we know that she's worshipped. He's trying to calm them down. If she's really that great, there's no way that these, these men are going to stop it. And I love, I love his argument. There's nothing he can, they can say against him. And then he says, and seeing that these things cannot be spoken against, Okay. These are true statements. We've got the idol that fell out of the sky. She's worshipped here. Why, Why are you guys worried about these couple of men? And he goes, you ought to be quiet and don't do anything rash. Just calm down and don't do something you're going to regret. He's a calming voice in the middle of all of this, all of this noise. And he's not arguing with them that Diane's not, Diana's not great. He's just saying, matter of fact, he's going in. She's so great that she can defend herself. She doesn't need us. He says, be quiet. And then he goes even further. He goes, they have not gone up into the temple and robbed it. And they're not speaking against Diana. All they're doing is giving the name of Jesus. Now, technically, they are speaking against the goddess. But he's he's calming things down. He says... They haven't gone into the church and stolen stuff, so there's nothing there. They're not blaspheming her and saying saying anything negative about her. All they're doing is preaching Jesus. And so he's calming them down. And he says, now, and this says, wherefore, if Demetrius and the other guys have a problem, (laughs) let them bring a a legitimate case to, to court is what he's saying. If they really have a problem, they think that they're stealing their customers or whatever it might be, let them bring it, to, bring it to court. Let them lay their charges on the table and tell us what's going on. He goes, if they do that, then their deputies are here and we're ready, we're ready to have court. If they want to bring legitimate legal charges, we're ready to have court, is what he's saying. And this is a great thing for him. This is a man who is being very reasonable in the middle of a riot. Now, part of his reasoning is that if there's a riot in a city and Rome has to quell it, lots of people are going to lose their heads and lots of leaders are going to lose their positions. This is one of the problems that Pilate had in Jesus' day. He had already had three occasions when he had killed a lot of Jews to quell riots. And he was actually told by Caesar, one more riot in your town and you get demoted. You're no longer going to be the governor, you're going back to being a general in the middle of the battles. And so when Jesus was put before him, even though he knew Jesus was innocent, he was in a place that if he declared Jesus innocent, there might be a riot in town, which meant even if he quelled the riot and saved Jesus, he was going to be sent out to the front lines. You know, for those of us who are familiar with the old World War II's for Germany, would be you're going out to the Eastern Front, where you almost had a perfect death rate. You know, death rate, and that's what he's being told. You, you mess up one more time, you're going out to the front lines, where you're going to hazard your life. This man is definitely under, understanding this. He's got a riot going on. He could lose his lose his position. You know. And many people could die as Rome stops this riot. So he's saying, "We have deputies. We have the law. If, there's a, a legit, if you have a legitimate Demetrius and you guys, if you have a legitimate case, bring it. You know, bring the charges, and we will. We will send the deputies there, and we'll make them. We'll put the. We'll put them. In, put them into the court. And and then he goes, and then he goes in in verse 39. But if you inquire." Anything concerning these matters, it is, and it is determined in a lawful assembly. He goes, if you want to bring legal suits, let's bring it lawfully, not by dragging these men from the street and and demanding demanding them go to court. He goes, there's rules for the court. They need to have their defense lawyers. There has to be somebody presenting the argument. The laws in courts have not changed over the years. I mean, the, 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 the little rules have changed, but there's if it's a legitimate nation of law. You always have to have an accuser and a defense, and both sides get to put their, put their, put their statements together. If it's not a rule of law, then it doesn't matter because going to there is no law. But if there is a legitimate rule of law, all the courts have always been the same. Present your case against and, and, and defense against, and see what ha- who puts out in the better case. And this is what he's saying. Demetrius and you guys, if you have a case, present it. And then we'll let the law take over. And then he goes in verse 40, but we are in danger of being called in question today for this uproar. This is a riot. And he goes, if you continue going this way, Rome gets involved. (laughs) The Roman legion gets involved. And then heads will roll. There'll be an inquiry onto what was going on. And he says... There being no cause whereby we can give an account for our for our concourse. He goes, and you guys haven't given us any legal charges. All right? He goes, if I'm asked why this is going on, why you're in this court and there's this riot going on in court, he goes, I will have to tell you that there's no tell them that there's no there's no legal grounds for you to be here. And you know, and we cannot give an account for this. We can't give an account for why you're all standing here demanding a judge prevail over here and you haven't even given us charges no man has been legally arrested no man has been taken care of and he goes I can't give you an account and we are in danger we the whole city is in danger right now at this point in time and after he got done with this he said this is over dismissed non-case dismissed (laughs) Uh, you know This guy is a very wise man, and I think that the leaders that were telling Paul, don't go in, don't get involved in this, they understood what would happen. If Paul had shown up, I don't know that this guy could have quelled the crowd at that point, because Paul was really the center of what they were after. These guys were just kind of caught up in the swell. But if Paul had been in the center of this, he may not have been able to calm them down because Paul was the main preacher. Paul was the, the main the main one talking about coming to Christ, but this man in the middle of a tumultuous crowd was able to get people to listen to him. How? I don't know. I'm sure there were some Roman soldiers all around as well, (laughs) you know, because one man is not going to change a change a riot, especially when all he is doing is speaking, but he finally was able to bring sense into them, to calm down their heads, and basically he called out Demetrius and, and the other other uh, craftsmen and saying, hey, if you've, got a, if you've got some legitimate legal charges, lay them out. Tell us what your charges are. And the charge of losing business was not going to stand up in that day any more than it would today. Well, our business is hurt because of what he's teaching. Well, I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry that that's your case. If your business is that weak, you, you know, I'm sorry. And he's going, and he just said, you're dismissed. Everybody's dismissed. There's no charges here. Go home. And they went home. They averted a murder in the name of the law. Because the man stood up and said, you guys don't have a case. And again, I think if Paul had gone into the middle of, midst of all this, I don't think they would have listened to him. Because Paul was the center of their, their attention. He was, he's the whole reason that their, their, their town is changing. But it is kind of interesting how he's pointing out that if, god, if Diana be the god, she doesn't need you to defend her. Kind of like when Gideon's father defended him, when he tore down the, the, the altar of Baal, which is what he did the first time. He destroyed it, and the people came running once they found out who it was, and they wanted to kill Gideon. And his dad said, you know what? If Baal be God, let Baal take care care of Baal. All right? Uh, And this is funny because the fake gods have to be defended by their fake makers. (laughs) You know, we don't have to defend God. We just lift God up. He is perfectly able to defend himself. And we don't have to try to defend him. We lift him up, we speak his, speak his truth, but we don't need to get into arguments with people. And I, say that, I said this this morning, you know, if somebody's not going to listen to you, don't sit there and argue with them all day long and for weeks and weeks and months and months. If they're not listening, even in our very limited activities with people, there's still tens to hundreds of people in our life that we can speak to. You know, it, then somebody in that group might listen. And if all you're doing is trying to argue with one person and waste all your time with that person, you know, you miss the people that might have listened. And that's not saying you don't give a defense for God, you know, don't don't give a defense, but if somebody is asking the same questions and never listening and never never responding, it's time to move to the next person. There are lots of people out there that need to hear the word of God. And if somebody's not going to listen, you know, next... (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like the business world. You know, if you're a salesman, you, you don't sit there and argue with somebody and try to get them to buy your product when it's obvious they're not going not gonna to buy it. You go to the next, custo- next possible customer. And the next possible customer, you know, and whatever business you're in, there's a certain percentage of people that will say yes. All you've got to do is hit enough people. That was what I was taught in my sales classes. You know, uh, you've got 10% people, go talk to 10 people and you're going to get a sale. You know, talk to 20 people, you get two sales. You know, when somebody says no, you're one step closer to the person who's going to say yes. You know, and and you really do have to think, even in terms, even though we're not selling something with God, we have to keep that same mentality. I want to tell people and tell people and tell people and tell people. And eventually there's somebody that will say yes. You know, and I can't get depressed by all the no's. You know, because... I'm not responsible for what they say. Who are they saying no to? They're saying no to God. Now I may not be the best person given that presentation, but they're still saying no to God. And my job is to just do the best job I can to tell them and let them hear what God has for them. So for all of us, you know, we always want to remember, we need to go forward with God and trust that God knows what's going on and that He's got His power and you know, and it's an amazing thing that who did, he get, who did he send to deliver them? It wasn't even another Christian. It was a non-Christian who delivered them. And I think it very amazing sometimes that what we see is we get delivered oftentimes by the non-Christian world. that stand up and say, we've got to follow the laws. We've got to follow the way to go. My biggest question in our country right now is how far we're dr- drifting away from law and order. And it's scary to watch what's happening in our, in our country. Right, like saying, good, good, yeah. Everything's being turned on its head. The rule of law is disappearing. Our constitution is, is gone. Uh, you know, it doesn't hold much power anymore at all. So all we can do is put our trust in God. And it, nev- and it always had to be anyway. Our, our hope and, and trust could never have been in our government or in our constitution. It's been great to have them. But there, our ultimate hope has to be in God to defend us. And God will stand up and defend us. If he wants us to die, then we'll die as martyrs. If he wants us to live, then we will, our light will shine. And that's what's important. In this particular case, the guys get to live. But that wasn't always the case when people were grab, grabbed in these events. Uh, Paul was stoned one time and died and was resurrected yeah, you know, uh, so we saw that Stephen preached the gospel, and was executed. Every one of the disciples outside of John are going to die a martyr's death. Crucified, uh, heads chopped off, torn, you know, uh, drawn into four pieces by animals attached to different limbs and being quartered. Uh, Thomas is killed by being driven through with lances in the middle of a circle as the riders kept charging at him with the lance until he expired. You now, all of these things that happened over and over and over again. Some people have lived, some people have died. The good news is when you die for Christ, something good will come from that. You die for his name and you die and with his name on your lips. People will will see and there'll be great honor. And this is what's valuable in all of this. Are we ready to live for Christ even if it means death? Because by dying all we do is step into step into the Father's presence. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. It's the best thing that can happen to a Christian. Now, and I have this opinion that if we're dying for Christ, We'll be, I do not feel, think that Stephen felt another stone hit him once he looked up and saw, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I don't think he felt a thing after that. I think his eyes were on Jesus and, and nothing else mattered to him at that point. There are all kinds of stories in Fox's Book of Martyrs when these Christians have died and they died with praising God on their lips. And, especially to the people that was yeah, and they're saying forgive them. They're being burnt on the stake, and as their their skin is being cooked and boiled and burned on, they're praising God and singing praises. They weren't feeling the the pain of that because they were focused on God. I really truly believe that if if God calls us to be a martyr, there will come a point on that where we're not going to even feel what's going on because our eyes are focused on God. And then we can be able to say like Stephen, like Jesus, Father, forgive them and be able to be great praise. And we see so many examples of that as you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, of people that just said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They're, they don't even know what they're doing. Just forgive them. Which had infuriated the executioners, but people listening goes, how can they do that? They only could do that because God was touching them. So we want to keep all these things in mind as we go forward. Lord, we just ask you to help us Learn to trust you deeper, to follow you in a deeper way. Give us the strength to know that you are God and that you are in charge no matter what happens and to be able to trust in you and not in our own strength. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans six twenty three says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5, 8 says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about Him. Today is the day to decide to become His child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell.